this morning uh, to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to be talking about a, a uh, big statement of Jesus. Now, for those of you who uh, brought your Bibles this morning and like to follow along, I'm going to give you all the key references now so you can put uh, some bookmarks or your finger in some different passages. So Luke 16 this morning, and then we're going to skip over to a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So we have three uh, Luke 16 and, and Matthew 6 are uh, sort of part and parcel of one another. Luke 16, Matthew 6, and then Acts chapter 2 is going to be a, an illustration about those two, uh, those two verses. We're going to start a new mini-series today uh, called Agents of the Treasury. Agents of the Treasury. A couple of weeks ago, I was cleaning out my boys' room. I have four kids, two girls, two boys, one on the way, and... We uh, were cleaning out our, our boys' room, and I was noticing there was a pile of books that was looking a little bit like Mount Vesuvius. It was looking big and bad and scary. And so I, I went into my closet, and I dug in my closet, and I found a bookshelf that I had made in shop class in the seventh grade. And it was the, it, it was the greatest work of carpentry that I have ever put together in my life, it was also the only work of carpentry that I had ever put together in my life. And I took that into my son's room, one's too young to care, but my, my three-year-old Cameron was so thrilled as we put that bookshelf up on his dresser and we put all, our, all his books in it, and he was just tickled. So a couple nights later, I was reading a book to him, and I was getting to the close of the book, and one of my girls pops her head in the door, and she says, Dad, when you're done reading to the boys, will you come in and read that book to me? And before I could say yes or no, Cameron looks at both of us and says, no, it's mine. <laughs> I was already upset just right in that moment. Because mine is like that word that you do not want to hear from your kids. You want to break the spirit of mine in them really, really fast. So I said, hold on a minute. I said, Natalie just wants to borrow the book. I said, so I'll take that in and I'll read that to her and then I'll bring it back. He says, no, it stays on my bookshelf. And at this point, the righteous indignation of God <laughs> welled up in me because I was not having any of that. And it took everything in me not to wake Landon up across the way because he was already down sucking his thumb. And I said, Cameron, what is wrong with you? I said, listen, this bookshelf is yours. I gave it to you. But these books, I mean, your sister just wants to borrow it. And I said, this book isn't yours. It's, it's, it's my book. I said, so if I want to take it in there and read it to them, that's okay. And, and, and there's going to be lots of books that come and go on your shelf. But, but that's, that's not godly. That's not nice. That's selfish for you to feel that way. And, and I was really upset. And I, I was really proud of myself for not showing him how upset I really was. Because you got to break that spirit of mind within your kids. Because if you don't do that, they're not going to grow to be very happy people. They're going to be grasping, me first, selfish, I want, I need folks. And, and they're not going to be sharers. They're not going to be givers. They're going to be people who are very unhappy in life. So if I don't break that spirit of mind in my son, he's not going to come to be a very happy, healthy, functional adult. Isn't it interesting that we somehow see these things within our children, but maybe we don't see them as clearly when we look in the mirror and look at ourselves? But the truth is that we as human beings are 
are, are possessive of a sin nature. And that sin nature that each one of us has, on some level, has a spirit of mine all over it. A spirit of, of grasping and wanting and needing to hold on to that which we think is ours. And our Heavenly Father looks at that spirit of mine within his people and his righteous indignation begins to rise up. And he wants to break that spirit in us because he knows if he can break that spirit in us, we'll become happy, healthy Christian adults. We'll be the people that he designed us to be. So I explained to Cameron, I said, Cameron, as I said, this bookshelf is yours. I gave it to you. But ultimately, these books are going to come and go. And if you try to hold on to every book on this bookshelf, you're going to be very unhappy because they are going to come and go. There's going to be books, books that come in and books that go out. The best way to see ourselves when it comes to possessions and wealth is as agents, not owners. Folks who, who, who are stewards, not kings, of what sits on our bookshelf. And over the course of the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about being agents of God's treasury. Understanding that possessions and wealth and money, they are going to come and they are going to go, but ultimately, it's not ours to dictate. It's God's to dictate. And when we break the spirit of mine within us, which is the title of the sermon today, when we break the spirit of mine within us, or God breaks that spirit within us, all of a sudden we have crossed the first step. We have taken the, the first step towards becoming agents of God's treasury. Now I want to read for you a verse that's right here in Luke chapter 16. It's verse 13. And we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Normally, I would read you the whole passage, and then we'd break it down piece by piece. Today, I want to read you just one verse, and then towards the end of the message today, we're going to come back, and we're going to set the context for what this was all about. But I just want to read you one verse to get us started today, and it's a very emphatic verse. Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, we're just going to stop there because there's enough right there if we wanted to to talk for the next 20-some minutes upon. Jesus makes four emphatic statements, black and white statements, line in the sand type of statements. No servant can serve two bastards, one. He'll either hate one and love the other, two. He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, three. You cannot serve both God and money, four. This is like parenting. you got to tell somebody three, four times for them to get it. And Jesus is telling us four different ways in the span of two sentences. Listen, you can't serve me, and you can't serve money. But the interesting thing about the word money here in the Greek, which was the original language that the New Testament was written in, the, rich, the interesting thing about the word in the Greek, it's not the normal word for money. The normal word for money uh, comes from the Greek word for silver. And when you're talking about money, when you're talking about loose change, when you're talking about wages, you're talking about silver. That's what you say in the Greek. But the word that Jesus use here, uses here is very specific. Now you say, for those of you who really know your Bible, you know this. Jesus spoke Aramaic. But his disciples, when they were trying to communicate who Jesus was and what he did to the world, wrote it in Greek. So it's not good Bible study to say, well, this is what Jesus said in the Greek, because Jesus spoke Aramaic, which was a derivative of Hebrew. Are you following with me? I, I've explained three languages here in 10 seconds. 
all right? Hebrew transformed to Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. But because Greek was the language of the world at the time, the disciples translated his Aramaic words into Greek. You following? This is all very important, I promise. Now, so this is not the normal word for silver or money. This is a word that's derived from the Aramaic and Hebrew. And the Greek writers of the Bible, Jesus' disciples and their followers, they wrote, instead of the normal word for silver, they wrote a word that came from the Hebrew and the Aramaic called mammon. Mammon. This was the Hebrew concept for wealth or the pursuit of wealth. In fact, many scholars believe that this language is even prior to the Hebrew and the Aramaic, or this word is even prior to the Hebrew and Aramaic because there is some evidence that mammon, wealth, was a god of the Canaanites. That, that there was, if you will, a, 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 a god-demonic attachment to this word mammon. And so this word that's in our, Greek, in, our, in our Bibles in the Greek is something that came from the Hebrew. And it's a word that Jesus was using very specifically, so specific that his disciples didn't write silver. They wrote mammon, possibly because they knew in the back of their minds that mammon comes from that Canaanite god. Jesus seems to give mammon a personality. Jesus gives mammon this substitute for him, a personality, because he says you can't serve him and me at the same time. Now, the early Christians picked up on this, and, and throughout the history and the interpretation of this passage, people understood mammon to have a personality, if you will. In fact, John Milton in Paradise Lost has mammon as one of the chief demons of hell standing next to Satan in hell. So there's this long traditional history of interpretation that looks at this word and says, this is a big-time word. But Jesus' emphasis four times in one verse should tell us that this is a really big deal for us to look at. This juxtaposition, this versus battle between really serving God and serving the desire to have wealth and, and, and possessions and things of our own end. It's a really big deal. Now, you might be sitting here today, and you know what your vices are. You know what's keeping you, in many cases, from being the Christian that God's designed you to be. Maybe you're sitting in this place today, and you're going, you know what, if I can just get over my substance abuse, I can become the person that God's designed me to be. Or maybe you're sitting here today, and you think, if I could just get over uh, my sensuality and my sexual sin, if I could just get over that stuff, I would be the Christian that God designed me to be. Or, or you might be saying, if I could just get over my anger issues that has me spout off and say dumb things and mean things and hard things to people, if I could just get over my anger, I could become the Christian I desire to be. Or, or maybe you're saying, I, if I could just conquer my, my fear and anxiety and worry, I could become the Christian that God designed me to be. But I really doubt this morning that many of us came into church and sat down and thought, if I could just conquer the spirit of mine, I could be the Christian that God designed me to be. Not many of us were thinking, you know, when I go pray in the altar at the end of service, I'm going to pray about my love of wealth and my pursuit of it. Not many of us think that way. But Jesus has set up a big juxtaposition between him and the pursuit of wealth in this life. He says you cannot serve both. You've got to get over this thing 
to be the person that God designed you to be. Well, why is that? Why is that? Well, we get a hint from Matthew chapter 6, because Matthew chapter 6 is the other place where Jesus quotes this, no one can serve two masters, he'll either hate the one or love the other. This is your cue to turn there, some of you got it, brilliant, all right? So Jesus is going to say this exact same thing in Matthew 6, but it's going to be in the context of a different sermon this time. It's going to give us a little more background. Because what's going to happen is he's going to show that what mammon, what the spirit of mind promises, ultimately leads to darkness. Now catch this. Verse 22 of Matthew 6 and following. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For he, he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I know what's how some of you are wired. You're critical thinkers. You're thinking, hold on a minute. That's not the way it reads in Luke. The Bible's contradicting itself. Call the History Channel. Call CNN. Call A&E. They would love to do a special on this. Now, let me explain something to you about the words of Jesus. Jesus preached all the time for three years. He was not reinventing the wheel with every single sermon. In fact, rabbis at that time taught things over and over and over again within different contexts. So, in Luke 16, the context, if you read that whole chapter, was a parable. But in Matthew chapter 6, the context is the Sermon on the Mount. But this is one of the teachings of Jesus that was so important that he repeated it within different sermonic atmospheres. Now, what's interesting about this particular statement, if we can go back one slide, Greg, is that Jesus starts with saying, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. And then he ends this whole passage with, you cannot serve both God and wealth. So what he's really saying is, what is your eye fixed upon? Because what your eye is fixed upon will determine the spiritual health of your spiritual body, what's going on inside of you. And if what starts with your eyes is a pursuit of mammon, a pursuit of mine, and if it does not end there, if you do not say, hold on, i got to stop that, that's not what I'm on this earth to do, all of a sudden he says that mammon, the spirit of mine, has the potential to consume you and leave you in darkness. So we are told when we look at, at everything that, that has, ha, transpires around us, if we can just get to wealth, if we can just acquire, if we can just get to a certain place of financial security, then we will be happy, be secure, be set, not have to worry. But Jesus says, if your eye is fixated on wealth, that will lead you to darkness, to darkness. Pastor Jimmy Evans, somebody that I appreciate, puts it this way. Jimmy Evans is the CEO of Marriage Today, so it's interesting that, that he would say something like this in the context of him. He is a spiritual and marital leader. He says, mammon promises things that only God can give. Security, significance, identity, independence, power, and freedom. The spirit of mind promises things that only God can give. Security, significance, identity, independence, power, and freedom. If I can just get enough money, I'll have security. If I can just acquire enough cool stuff, 
I'll have significance. I went to college with two guys from Detroit. Both of their fathers had worked for Ford. One was a Ford exec, exec, one worked on the assembly line. And they were telling me a little bit about Detroit and then the suburbs of Detroit. And they said, it's really interesting that in Detroit, you will go by some of the most dilapidated, disgusting houses you have ever seen. But there's a late model Mustang sitting on the front lawn. Because mammon promises significance. If you can just acquire the right things, people will think something of you, which also has to do with identity. Mammon promises you that you can hew out the identity for yourself that you really want. I'm not that, I am this. Look at the way I dress. Look at the car I drive. Look at the state of my home. Aren't I awesome? Mammon promises independence. You can do what you want, go where you want to go, do the things that you think are fun, and keep yourself away from doing the things that you don't think are fun if you can just get more. Mammon gives you power. No one can determine who I am and what I can do. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Mammon gives you freedom. Nobody can tell me what to do because I have wealth. The problem is Jesus says that mindset is going to leave you pretty dark on the inside. Not only that, but Jesus says you've got to break that mindset because if you're looking for possessions or wealth to do that in your life, you're going to be in a dark, dark place, and you really can't serve God that way. Who is the only one who can provide for us security, significance, identity, independence, power, and freedom? God. He's the only one that can take care of the core longings of our heart. Do you see why the enemy sets up mammon against God and says, this is going to provide that stuff for you because if we can be inundated with the spirit of mine, all of a sudden we are not looking to God for what rightfully comes to him. We are looking for something from the world to meet that need, to meet that need. And in essence, the, the key to mammon having a hold over you and I is fear. 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 Because if we don't have God won't supply. If we don't have what we think we need, we will not be secure. We will not be significant. We won't have identity. We, we won't have freedom. And God's saying, all those things flow from my hand. They don't flow from the hand of mine and mammon. Why has the enemy set up the pursuit of wealth against God, according to Luke chapter 16, verse 13? Because financial fear in the enemy's hands is a weapon against God, man, and the church. Financial fear in the enemy's hand is a weapon against God, against man, and against the church. If the enemy can get God's people looking to money to meet their needs, that's a weapon against God because God's supposed to supply those things. If the enemy can get you at a place where you're fearing what's coming off the bookshelf will never come back on, God's not going to be able to use you as an agent of his treasury. And if God has a church that's in a place where many people feel that way, the church is going to be in a place where they're not able to be the generous entity that God designed for them to be. So we as human beings have to make a choice, Jesus says. We can either choose to serve mammon or we can choose to serve God. We can either choose to break up with mine or we can choose to break up with God. What are you going to choose? 
I take it you want to break up with the spirit of mine, and I want to look at a church that broke up with the spirit of mine and what happened among them. Remember, I told you to turn to Acts 2 this morning. Go ahead and do that. We are going to look at the first church that ever was. The very first group of Christians that ever called themselves by the name of Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and following. These people were the initial Christians. They're the ones from whom we sprouted. They were the seed, we are the fruit. Here we go, 2.44. And all the Christians who believed were together and had all things in common, I added Christians. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So these were people who had been raised primarily as Jews, who had been convinced by Peter on the day of Pentecost that Jesus was the promised Messiah. They were cut to the quick and said, Peter, what must we do? And Peter said, you need to be baptized. So they went and got baptized. Then we find out in verse 44 that they started hanging out with the church. They started hanging out with the people of God. And then as the first expression of their newfound love and fidelity to Jesus Christ, they sold their stuff and gave away the money. Isn't that interesting? They sold their stuff. That, that's, that was a practical, real expression for them of their love and fidelity to God and their belief in what the church was doing. Now, People read this passage, especially in our capitalistic society, and scream, socialism! Well, at this particular point in history, we weren't really dealing with socialism. That was not what this was all about. What this was all about was the church was primarily composed of people who were guests in Jerusalem. The people who came to know Christ had come there for the feast, the pilgrimage of Pentecost. And when they came to know Christ, they wanted to stay there in Jerusalem so they could learn about who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what it meant for the world. And so in essence, these were pilgrims on fixed incomes who had come to Jerusalem, and then they find out about Christ, and they're like, we want to stay, we want to learn from Peter and John and James. We need to find out what we're to do with this. Well, how do you stay if you're on a fixed income in another land? Somebody's got to fund it. And so the folks who did have means, the folks who were the locals, the folks who did have some land, possessions, some money, who were not strapped financially said, we got you covered. And from that expression of obedience, what do we see in verse 47? They had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church was practically generous because the church had broken up with mammon. Could you imagine that, 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 that you have this newfound faith and you're so pumped about knowing who Jesus is that your stuff doesn't matter anymore? That you drive up to church and you find out that somebody needs food and you, ah, I'll, I'll sell my car. Just sell my car. Bring all the proceeds and not, not only will that person doesn't have food, but anybody who needs food, we got you covered. These are folks that were incredibly generous because they saw what God was doing in their midst. And they saw that the work of God was going on and people were getting saved. Mammon is a tool of God's purpose and salvation, no longer an end. Mammon is a tool of God's purpose and salvation and no longer the end for human beings. I told you I'd give you some context if you want to turn back to Luke chapter 16. 
Luke chapter 16, verse 9, this is what Jesus says about mammon rightly applied. Verse 9 of Luke 16, he says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What is Jesus saying? Now, there's a parable in there. I've taught on it in the last couple of years. You can look it up on vlchurch.com. But Jesus is saying, listen, if mammon is what you have your eyes set upon, you're going to end up in darkness. And if you set your eyes on wealth, you are giving wealth, mammon, phenomenal cosmic power over your life. But rightly applied, you can take big, bad wealth, big, bad mine, big, bad gain, and you can shrink that down and say, you're working for me now. And I'm going to use you as a tool in the hands of God for the salvation of the lost. That is mammon brought down from power into what God has for us. Those early Christians saw that people were getting saved. They knew they had a gift of salvation, and they wanted to pay that thing forward. So they broke up with mammon. They made a clear break because they saw their money and their finances as a tool in the hands of God for the salvation of souls. Jesus says the same thing in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. All the wealth, all the money, all the things that we have, they are a tool in God's hand for the salvation of folks so that when you die, they'll be welcoming you into heaven. Hey, come on in. Thanks for spending. Hey, come on in. Thanks for giving. Hey, come on in. Thank you for making sure that your wealth was not something that you aimed for in life. Your wealth was something that was a tool in the hands of God. You were an agent of God's treasury. To break up with mammon, to make a clear break, I'm going to tell you the very simple thing that you have to do. You have to give. To make a clear break with mammon, you have to give. You have to give what God tells you when God tells you. You need to obey him in that. It's the only way that you can break that spirit over your life. Now you're saying, okay, Pastor Matt, you're telling me that God needs my money to do his work. That is not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is God needs your heart to do his work. He needs all of you. God doesn't need your money. But he can't have all of you until you clearly break up with mine. That's what he's saying in Luke 16, 13. He can't have all of you until you make a clear break with the object of your desire, which is the security, significance, identity, freedom, independence that you think wealth can bring you. And the only way to break the spirit of mammon over your life is to give. Is to give. Is to trust that if it goes off your bookshelf, God's got you covered. That's how you break it. I told you I'd give, the, give you the full context of Luke 16. So turn back there. We're going to be wrapping up in the next few minutes. But I want to show you the verses that precede verse 13. We're going to start in verse 10. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful with the unrighteous mammon, who will entrust to you true riches? 
And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? See, God has a greater purpose for your life than just to acquire some stuff, get some financial security, and die. There's a greater purpose for your life. But what he's, Jesus is saying here in verse 10 is if you can't take a very little bit of what God has given you and trust him with it, he's not going to be able to do more or much in your life. One who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. There's an inverted promise in there. An inverted promise. And the inverted promise is this, God wants to do more through you. Parable of the talents, can't preach every passage. God wants to do more through you. He wants to do more through the money that he gives you. He wants to do more through your life, but he's got to have your heart to do that. God is saying things will progress in your life on a spiritual plane if you trust me with your wealth. Trust me with the little so I can give you the much. Now the evil thing that modern preachers have done with this passage is what? They've said give to get. Have they not? You say, Pastor Matt, what are you rolling out this morning that you want me to give towards? And I'll tell you, the Skiftstad Family College Fund. <laughs> and what do evil pastors do with the Skiftstad Family College Fund? They say something like this. If God could use you today for your might, he will what? He will bless it fivefold, bless it tenfold. You will give and then you will get. Isn't that evil? Look at Luke 6, 23, not right now, but put that passage down. Jesus says, do not give in order to get. And that is not what I'm saying today. Some of you are blessed with the gift of generosity, the gift of giving. And God is using you and has used you as a funnel with which to bring salvation and bless people. God bless you. But, but others of you today, you will begin to break up with mammon in your life and you'll begin to give and the blessings might not be financial. The, the blessings might not be that, hey, look, I gave and look at my new car. Because that's evil. That's still being enslaved by mammon if that's your, that's your attitude. And those pastors who preach that and those congregations who get into it, they're still enslaved by the spirit of mine. What Jesus is saying is, I need your whole heart so I can do more through you. And if your aim in life is to pursue wealth rather than to pursue me, I can't trust you, look at verse 11, with true riches. I can't trust you with true riches. I can't do the things in your life that are ultimately going to give you security, significance, identity, freedom independence, power. I can't do that stuff if you don't trust me with unrighteous wealth, with money. God wants to give you true riches, and it does not equal money. Doesn't equal that. But if you can get things in order and see that the wealth that he gives you is merely wealth to move through your life, for his purposes, the spirit of mammon can be broken within you, and you'll begin to act as an agent of his treasury. I'm going to tell you something. God instituted giving 
not to fund his work. God instituted giving so that you and I could overcome the spirit of fear that's attached to mammon. The spirit of fear that's attached to mine. What was Cameron rebelling against in that moment with his bookshelf? I'll never get my book back. I'll never get my book back. But there's been very few times that I have met a Christian. I can't even remember any, but you never want to speak in absolutes because then somebody afterwards will come and say, I'm leaving the church because you were wrong. But anyhow, I have yet to meet anybody. Maybe you'll be the person who comes and bursts my bubble. I have never met anybody that said, you know what, God called me to give sacrificially, and I gave what he told me to give, and boy, did I miss that money afterwards. I haven't met that person. I'll be in the Welcome Center. You can tell me that's you, but I've yet to meet that person. Because you don't miss that stuff, because when you put it in God's hands, God can do wonderful things through it. God instituted giving to break the spirit of mine, the spirit of fear, the spirit of mammon that exists in each one of our lives on some level, on some level. There are some of you here today and you are thinking about your spouse and you are thinking about the spirit of mine that infects their life. And you're concerned about that and they have no idea that anything's going on in them. And some of you are here today and you're, you're hearing this message and you think, you know what, Pastor Matt, I used to have that going on in my life, but I am so glad that God has broken that spirit in me. And perhaps some of you are being real introspective today and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know that I've given this much thought before, Pastor Matt. I don't know, but Jesus said some pretty stark things in Luke 16, 13. And maybe I need to examine just the way I'm interacting with what comes in and goes out of my life. I want to tell you, I have struggled with the spirit of mine. I've struggled with the spirit of mammon in my own life. And it's a dark place to be. Jesus is light. It leaves you in a spirit of fear. It can leave you in a spirit of panic. Leave you in a very dark place. When I first got married, Gina and I believed that God was telling us a few things. Number one, that Gina was to go to school, to go back for her nursing degree, and praise God, she's an RN today. And we were also told that, you know, we also believed that we were to have children. So in essence, you know, Gina would be going to school and and taking care of our kids while I worked, and we'd be a one-income family. And the big fear in my life all the time was, is my wife going to have a decent car to get back and forth to school? And I want to tell you, I don't know that any of the eight cars that we've had in eight years until this year has ever been decent. Decent would not describe our cars. If you need to get a witness to that, ask Pastor CJ, who would look at me almost by week, almost bi-monthly and go, what are you driving today? What happened this time? We had no luck with cars. We had no good things happen to us with cars in that five-year span of her being in school and us having three children. And we didn't have a lot of extra with which, and I was stressing about it so often, and I can't tell you how many times I stood in my house and I looked at God, and I said, God, I'm going to have to stop tithing to make a car payment, because I'm not seeing your provision here. I'm not seeing it here with these cars. 
And I want to tell you, God always came to the rescue. I want to tell you, three different times in eight years we had cars given to us. None of them were decent, but they were given. <laughs> well, one was, one was all right. One was all right. The other ones were a little shaky. But I want to tell you, that didn't break the spirit of mine in me. Because God can prove just how good he can provide while you're still enslaved to mammon. Do you know that? He can still prove to you, I take care of you, I take care of you, I take care of you, and you can still go, thank you very much, now let me count what's in my wallet. So towards the end of Gina's schooling, uh, we knew that we needed a minivan because we had three kids now. We knew that we needed something a little bit bigger. And I had a Toyota Camry with over 300,000 miles on it. And it was having some problems, and I really didn't want to fix them, but I had a buddy of mine who likes to work on cars, and I knew he'd want to fix it. So we were going we to get rid of that car, and we were going to see what we could do about a minivan. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. And so I called my buddy. I says, you know what? i got to get a little money out of this car so I can try to get another car. I know it's not much, but I can get 300 if I junk it. Can I, can I have you buy it for 300 He said, sure, bring it all over. I'll get the money together. Just need $300 out of this car. That's what I was thinking. So I, I was about to leave the house and take this car over to my buddy, and Gina looked at me, and she said, you need to give that car to him. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, we need that $300. You, you know, you, I, I'm, I, I do the books. We, we don't have any money to put towards another car. I need that $300. And I know some of you are like, you, you, you see how infected I was with the spirit of mind. $300 is nothing to you. It's nothing to you. But, but to a, a young family with three kids and one income and a, and a wife in school, that, that was big money. That was big money. I said, oh, Gina, I can't do that. She goes, I think you should. And then I left. And all the way over to my buddy's house, and she's driving behind me in our, another car that had been given to us. Uh, God said, do it. I thought, no, no, I need that 300 bucks. God said, do it. So I drove over, and, and, I, and I parked the car, and my buddy got out of his house. I said, I just take the car. He says, no, I got the money. I said, just take the car. And I got out of there, and I thought, I can't believe I just did that. I'm so mad at Gina. I'm really mad at God. <laughs> so fast forward a few months, and I, I had to talk to Gina about this this week to make sure that, that, that all my facts were straight. But fast forward three months, and, and we're looking for a car, and we had $500 to our name. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to buy a minivan on $500, but it doesn't go very far. And so Gina's dad calls, and he says, you know what, I have a school teacher down in Medina here. She's really kept up this Dodge van. It's 20 years old, but it, it, she's really kept up with it. She goes, he's asking $1,000 for it. And I thought, well, I have $500, and that's not enough, but I'll, let's go drive it. So we drove down to Medina. We drove this van. It was pretty nice for being 20 years old, and we needed a car. And so we drove away, and we thought, we can't lowball this lady. We don't even know her. So Gina and I put our heads together, and we said, we'll ask if she'll take 800. We'll ask if she'll take 800. We didn't know where we were going to get $300 because I didn't get it out of the other car. <laughs> but I said, well... We'll ask if she'll take 800. So I called my father-in-law. I says, Dad, will you, will you call her and ask if she'll, she'll take 800? I, I don't want to abuse your friendship, but that's, that's all we can do right now. And he said, okay, I'll call. So he didn't hear from him, didn't hear from him, didn't hear from him. He calls back. He says, 
Matt, I got some news. I said, ah, oh, crud, I guess it wasn't a car for us. He says, he says, she won't take $800 for it, but she'll take 500 And I can't say that I'm fully healed from the spirit of mine, but boy, did he break the spirit of mine in me that day. He just said, give what I tell you to give, and I'll take care of it. And I'll take care of it. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't mess with those numbers for you today. That car was great for us. And I had exactly what I needed to have. Couldn't put it that way. God had exactly what I needed to have. He wants to break the spirit of mine in us, folks, because then we'll fully trust him. And he can do amazing things in and through our lives when our eyes are fixated on his light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if I'm convinced of anything today, I'm convinced that you are good and that you want to take care of us. You want to be our God and you want us to be your people. You want us to trust you. You want us to break up with the evil spirit of mine so that we can be fully yours. God, I know how much you've done in my life to show me that you're faithful. And I know that as I begin to live out this principle, you continue to show me just who you are and that my security, my significance, my identity is not tied to stuff. It's not tied to a number in a bank. But it is indelibly tied to you. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to your people today and that we would do a thorough examination in our lives and ask you, Lord, if there's a breakup that's needed. What we're going to do for just a few minutes in this place today is very simple.